Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. Good to see you again. My name is Quentin. I'm the pastor here at Harvest South. If you're new with us, we welcome you. We love to see new faces. And we're here to celebrate the Lord again on this Lord's Day, to lift his name high in our hearts. That's why we are here. We are here to glorify his name. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Colossians. We've been in there since January. As a church, we believe in expository preaching, verse by verse, going through all of what God has for us. And uh, we are now in Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, just slip your hand up. Our ushers have lots of Bibles. We'd love for you to have one in your hand. Uh, We'd love for you to be looking at God's Word, checking everything that we're saying against His holy scriptures. Well, I don't know about you, but the book of Colossians has been doing a lot of work on my own heart over these last few months, just diving deep into the theology of the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that that he is supreme, that he is preeminent over all things, and he needs to be preeminent in my life as well. So I've been been learning a lot myself as his word has been uh, ministering to me during the week as I prepare these sermons. Because Jesus is supreme over my life, because he is the epicenter of all joy, all meaning, all satisfaction, my life should be naturally lining up with him, who he is. I'm being convicted of of how much he needs to be first in my life, not second, not third. How much he needs to be first in my thoughts, first in my actions, First in my heart. And how are you doing with all that today? Friends, my prayer is that we as a church, we as a church would truly see Jesus as supreme. That he would be first. That we wouldn't be consumed with ourselves and consumed with the world. I pray that as a church that he would be highest, he would be best, and that we would worship him with hearts full of spirit and truth. And I pray that we would begin to look more and more like him as we behold his glory and are changed. That's my heart for our church. Friends, the Christian life is one of transformation. It's one of change. It's one of ongoing, progressive sanctification. And the text we're looking at today is going to be be one of those hard texts. It's going to be one of those that's really challenging. Very clear, a challenge to our hearts as we approach the world in light of Jesus Christ. And we're faced with this preeminent process. As Christ is preeminent, as revealed through the scriptures, we have a process of change. And and Paul is beginning to show us this process, this, this putting off of the old man and putting on of the new. Friends, we've been learning that we need to be looking up We need to be casting our eyes on the things of heaven where Christ is. And by looking up, we are passionately pursuing the things of heaven. This is what we studied last week. Not looking back, right? Cautiously keeping ourselves from the ways of the world. And looking forward. Faithfully flourishing in light of eternal glory. That was our sermon from last week setting our minds in the things that are above. And then today we get to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. Starting in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, 
Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is direct, that your word is clear, that your word is always relevant. We thank you that your word exposes hard things. And I pray that today, as we approach your word, that we would welcome this, that we would welcome this as exhortation, welcome this as rebuke, welcome this as encouragement. Lord, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we thank you that it exposes the darkness that remains. That by your grace, you show us these things. And we pray, Lord, that as we move forward, as we're changed by by looking at Christ, setting our minds in the things above, that you would be transforming us into the image of our creator. And so, Lord, we thank you. Would you work your word into our hearts? Would your Holy Spirit be illuminating it to our souls? And may we respond to you in obedience and joy and worship all because of the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So, so Paul has been teaching us much already about the preeminence of Christ. Last week was, was really bent on looking to heaven, setting our minds on him, looking where we're to be thinking, right? This week we're going to be looking at how we are to dress for the journey how we are to dress for the journey of this Christian life. In fact, over the next two weeks, we're going to be learning about how to dress, this putting off and this putting on of the Christian life. Basically, it's going to be what to wear and what not to wear. So this week is going to be what not to wear. What we are going to be removing from ourselves, the actions that we must engage with the Holy Spirit firmly hidden in Jesus Christ as we pursue holiness together. And so we're going to look at three actions today, three actions that we must engage again by the power of the Holy Spirit in the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And the first one is this, we must slay our sexual sins. We must slay our sexual sins. That's verses five to six. Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So friends, I know that preaching on on sexual sin can be a a delicate matter, and and trust me, I'm going to be careful as I approach this. We have all kinds of ages among us and and maturity among us, and so just trust me that that I'm going to be approaching this uh, safely because there are implications of this topic. Um, But know this, that that, uh, God's Word clearly is teaching us here. 
clearly reveals this truth to us. And so we're not going to choose to jump over this. We're going to choose to dive in to understand exactly what God has for us here. So God's word speaks very specifically here. And when God speaks so clearly, as he always does, we need to stop. We need to listen. We need to soften our hearts and we need to listen up. We need to take in what he has for us because it is what is best for us. And so as we do this, please trust that I'm going to be clear and careful without being too explicit. But with that said, let it be loud and clear that we need to slay our sexual sins or they may slay us. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he begins this this list of, of sexual sins. He starts from the greater, moves to the lesser. And these five first vices that he mentions are are based on, it's more of a personal focus of a sexual nature. Starting with with the ultimate, the ultimate outworking of, of sexual desire and moving into the heart, pointing us to the motivations of this sin, that we have sinful hearts bent on idolatry. And so let's start with the first phrase, put to death. Put to death. Necru, this means to kill, to mortify, to make dead. To make dead, therefore, what is earthly in you. So this this therefore refers back to the previous verses 1 to 4 from from last week about setting our minds on the things that are above. And if we are so eager to be setting our minds on the things that are above, we must also be eager about killing the sin Killing what is earthly that remains in us. This phrase, what is earthly in you, very literally in the Greek really means your members, the members of your bodies, your extremities, your organs. And this is being used, though, in a figurative sense. Now, we're not going back to what we've already learned to avoid. Remember, asceticism is, is sacrificing your body to experience a fuller sense of the Lord. That's not what we're talking about. It's being used figuratively that that we need to be killing sin. We're not to be cutting off the members of our body. It's speaking of the trappings of humanity, the trappings of the old man that remains, the ways that we used to behave. These old ways, what is earthly in us, needs to be destroyed for the sake of holiness, for the sake of Christ's name. Similar to Matthew 5, 29 to 30, where Jesus says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, same word, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better than that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is using some, some extreme hyperbole here. Tough language to describe how seriousness or how serious we need to be when it comes to fighting sin. So, Paul uses a similar hyperbolic statement to emphasize the eternal seriousness, the grave consequences of keeping the old ways attached to our lives. And so, Paul starts with highlighting these ways. And he starts with an area of sin that is, that is so prevalent, that is so pervasive 
in society, so threatening to the health of the church. Sexual immorality. The word being translated sexual immorality here is the word porneia. That's where we get the word pornography from. Sexual immorality is, 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 a, is an umbrella word that really encaptures every area of sexual immorality. Any type of sexual practice outside the pure and condoned sexual relationship of biblical marriage. And so we see this word porneia, sexual immorality. Now at the time of the Colossian church, this, uh, this was very normal. Many of the practices that Paul is calling sexual immorality uh, was just normal in culture. These things weren't considered bad things. Immorality was rampant. It was celebrated. This also reminds us of our own culture in the direction that we are moving in. That we are moving in a, in a graver time of sexual sin, and it's much more in our face than it used to be. But we've had this from the very beginning, right? Right from the garden. There's been immorality in the area of sexual immorality. It's been with us. And it's been in the beginning of the New Testament church. Immorality was a problem. Paul had to deal with, with a major problem in the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul was surprised to hear the report that there was sexual immorality among the church. And he says this, And it was of a kind that was not tolerated even among the pagans. So the church is not free from this. The church is not safe from the temptations of the world. And the thrust here of Paul's argument is that we need to respond by putting it to death. Putting it to death. Friends, you, you will struggle to be preoccupied with the things of heaven if you are preoccupied with the indulgences of the flesh. So when we are dabbling with sexual immorality, we, we reveal that, that we have a deeper problem at hand. And Paul shows us in this rest of the list, he takes us on showing us these four extra or five vices. He started with sexual immorality, we already talked about that. Then he moves on to impurity. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Let's start with impurity. We've got it up there. Uh, impurity, the, the original word, really means moral corruption, dirtiness uncleanness, vileness, usually used to speak of sexual sin outside of the pure confines of marriage. We see this in Romans 1.24, same word being used. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. We also see this in Romans 6.19. Speaking of the, the world, before you come to Christ, you were slaves to impurity. But now as Christians, we are to be slaves of righteousness. Passion, pathos. Now passion can be a good thing when it's used in the right sense. This word is, is awesome. We want our people to be passionate. But in the context here, it's, it's in the negative sense which means shameful passion, misplaced passion, passion that leads to sexual problems 
Again, Romans chapter 1 helps us here again. Romans 1, 25 to 27. We're going to have it up on the screen. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. It's a shameful passion. Passion in the wrong direction. Misplaced passion. Then we have desire. Meaning evil. Wrong desires. Wrong cravings. Lusts. Really what it is is desiring what's not good. Desiring what's not pure. Desiring what's not yours. It's the same word that James uses in, in chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Desire. Evil desire. Covetousness. The North, uh, NASB is translating this word greed. So uh, sexual greed, you can think of it that way. An insatiable desire for greater and greater sexual experiences. Uh, not being satisfied with what is, what is allowed and condoned by the Lord, but desiring more and more and more. We see that very prevalent in our society. Much more depravity as, as, as the desire grows. So friends, as, as you look at, the, at this list, we don't really have to try very hard to see how relevant this is today. This has not escaped us. This has not left us. This is alive and well. It's everywhere. It's growing. It's vile. It's shameful. It's, it's seeking more and more expressions of sexuality. And Paul wants to warn us that this is threatening the church. It threatens the church. Why is it so rampant? Why is it so prevalent? And Paul gives us the answer. If we trace back through the list, we see that uh, these outward acts are driven by an idolatrous heart. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is, let's say it all together, it is what? It is idolatry. Idolatry. Our hearts are prone to idolatry. We just sung. Our, our hearts are prone to wander. When we don't have our eyes set firmly on, on heaven and on Christ, our hearts are prone to move towards idolatry, worshiping everything and anything else besides the Lord our God. If our eyes are not fixed on Christ, that's where we default. Last week I brought up how the Israelites so quickly, so quickly turned from God at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they built a golden calf, an idol, and they began to worship it and proclaim to this, this golden calf made by Aaron's hands, proclaiming to it that this calf brought us out of Egypt. This calf saved us. Even though they seen God and a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, the Red Sea splitting in two, them walking across on dry land, they seen it all. And they so quickly turned and they made an idol. 
In Exodus 32, verse 6, it tells us a little more. After they created this idol, after Aaron made this, they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You ever think about those words if you've read that before? What does that mean? Eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, when you dig into the deeper meaning, there's, uh, there's a lot of room within that word for it insinuates drunkenness and immoral activities. In fact, Paul himself refers back to that incident in 1 Corinthians 10, 6-7. He writes, Now these things took place. He's talking about the Israelites and how they built this golden calf. These things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. And he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, these, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 of them fell in a single day. So this, this rising up to play in their idolatrous worship was also attached to sexual immorality. We're idolaters at heart. So friends, sexual immorality, this impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, they are all idolatry. They are the worship of the world, the worship of worldly sexual pleasures. And Paul says what? He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Just like the 23,000 that God killed because of, of the same idolatry in Exodus, God will have vengeance over stolen worship. He will. And so let us just feel that weight for a minute as we think about our sin. God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but he's also a God of wrath, and he will have his day. Friend, Satan wants nothing more than for, for the witness of the church to be torn down. He wants to defame the name of Jesus. And he's coming hard and fast at our churches. He wants to take the men down. And when you take the men down in the church, you take the family down, you take the church down, and you defame the name of Christ. And his name is marred in the world. So in the church that I grew up in, I mean, I love my church, love that they, they taught me the gospel as a young man. Um, but as I look back, I, I see the marriages of my friends and the marriages of my friends' parents. And I would safely say probably half of the marriages uh, from my childhood church uh, no longer are together. And at the root of, of the, these separations, uh, there would have been most likely sexual immorality at the core, idolatry. And so it, the, the church is not immune to this. Remember, Satan's coming hard and fast at us. So whether it be pornography at your fingertips, whether it be immodesty everywhere you look, Satan prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Just like in Proverbs 7, the forbidden woman is, is in the streets, lying in wait, ready to attack. So whether that be a, 
series that you're watching on Netflix that, that the writing is so good, but you know, there's a little bit of these questionable scenes. What about that new graphic romance novel that's been cycling through the media waves? It may just be our slow acceptance to, to the worldly kinds of ideas of sexuality, the, the transgender issue, homosexuality, and on and on and on. It's unending. Friends, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Sexual idolatry is one of the greatest problems in the church today, and it is growing. I don't even want to share with you the statistics. I don't want to share with you the numbers. What I want you to focus on is this, is that it is idolatry. It's, it's willfully offering worship to sex. Worship to self. And more than that, it's joining Satan in the fight against the name of Christ. We need to put it to death. We need to put it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit as we behold the glory of Christ, as we are informed by God's word. We need to put it to death. We need to slay it. We need to slay our sexual sins. John Owen, uh, one of the greatest theologians in the 1600s, said this. If you want to go and, and, uh, and dive into um, sanctification and the mortification of sins, John Owen has a classic work called Temptation and Sin. He says this, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now, so much more can be said about this. So many practical applications. How do we engage this together as a church? And we will. And we are. Especially as men, we will be on the front lines of this. Always aware. Not being naive. And this isn't just a problem with men. This is also a problem with women. The culture is shifting and, and things are moving more in a direction for this as well for women. But know this, that Satan has us specifically in his target and he wants to tear down the witness of Christ. He wants to steal worship away from the Lord. Let that drive you in your pursuit. That not that it just may wreck my family or, or may wreck my own witness, but that it's destroying the witness of Christ. So along with mortifying the sin of this sexual immorality, you know, this is mostly in, in, a, in a personal nature, Paul now moves outward into the relational area of sin in the body of Christ. In verses 7 to 9a, we must hold our divisive tongues. We must hold our divisive tongues. In these you too once walked, he says, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So Paul, we see here, he, he continues to highlight that these, these sins just mentioned and the one that he's going to, to mention are a part of our former way of living. He says, in these two, you once walked when you were living in them. This is all past tense. 
This is who we were. This is who the Colossians were. And this is who we are, or who, who we were. We are not that old person anymore. Do you believe that? You are not that old person anymore. You are new. You are made new in Jesus Christ. You are, are made in the likeness of Christ. And as we continue to grow in the likeness of Christ, the old way of walking, the old way of living, contradicts your new identity. It doesn't line up. So returning to your old ways is like putting on old, dirty clothes. Clothes that don't fit you anymore. Clothes that don't match the new you. But you know, we, we try so, so hard. We try so hard sometimes to return to the way we were when we forget to set our minds on the things that are above. Paul says, but now you must put them all away. Leave them alone. They don't belong to you anymore. They don't line up with your new identity. Putting them all away, when you look at the original language, really talks about the removal of clothing. Taking clothing off. Now, most of you know, I worked in the oil and gas industry for 16 years, and it can be really dirty out there. You know, sometimes we would, there's Trevor, he's an operator, he deals with this all the time. You got to wear your coveralls. If you don't wear your coveralls, you are going to be a mess. And I remember going to camp, big construction jobs. You'd be out there for months on end. You might have one or two pairs of coveralls and no washing machine in sight. And by the time you come home from that job, you are disgusting. From the hot and the sweat, from within, and, and all the dirt and the grease without. You are a mess. And I remember coming home coming home to come and see my family and, and wanting to take my wife for a date. And so I'd have to take off my coveralls. And of course, I'd take them off outside. Couldn't even bring those in the house. And then have a shower, get cleaned up. But I would never think of running back, if we're going to go out for a date, going and putting on those old stinky coveralls and going out with my wife. It's ludicrous. We need to put them all away, Paul's saying here. Filthy, gross garments. That's the old self. Kind of like Proverbs 26, 11. If we run back to our sin, it's like, it's like a dog that returns to its vomit. Is a fool who repeats its folly. We need to put them away. And we see Paul here, he begins to list more explicitly these five sins, five relational sins to be putting away from ourselves. Five sins of the mouth, sins that threaten to divide what God has brought together. Five sins of speech. We need to remove them like filthy clothes. So we got anger, we got wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And so we see in this series of sins, Paul moves from the lesser to the greater. The last set was greater to the internal. This is lesser to the greater. Starting with the heart. And moving through the process of how the attitude of our hearts eventually moves out through our mouths. So we're going to quickly define these here. Anger, orge, an unsettled heart. A deep feeling of intense bitterness. A sense of hatred within for something without. And wrath is a close cousin to anger. Except it has more volition, more action involved. 
Uh, one commentator defines it as a tumultuous outburst of passion. And so we see that anger and, and wrath are both deep attitudes of the heart and the mind. Uh, just picture this as, as a deep internal churning, a boiling agitation of the soul. You ever feel like that? I think we all feel like that at some times. We've been faced with anger, and you can feel it. You can feel this deep agitation. Malice is having ill will for someone, desiring that something bad would happen to them. A heart that wishes the worst for someone. So as this heart, as your soul churns and and it begins to, to hate on the inside, this often comes out in speech. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. Which then naturally leads to slander. Now we have this action of actually speaking. And this comes from the word blasphemia. It's where we get the word blasphemy. The tearing down of the name and the character of a person. Abusive words spoken to damage someone's reputation. Ultimately, in the end, what we see is that the ultimate outcome of this is obscene talk from your mouth, which is really abusive speech. Abusive speech. Have you ever witnessed two people in in conflict? Uh, They usually start kind of settled. You may know their backgrounds. You may know they don't really jive together. One person has an opinion, the other person doesn't like this. And, and as they are talking through an issue, you begin to see maybe, maybe their face changes a little bit. As the other person tries to make their, their point in the argument, the other person becomes a little more agitated until ultimately it just explodes. They release it all out. They let it out. Just like that... Uh, It's like that fancy pressure cooker you got for Christmas this year. This deep churning and heat on the inside. The reason that those lids are so bolted tight is because they'll explode if you take it off. And so it is with us as we we see this hatred brewing on the inside and being let out. Obscene talk is unleashed, unchecked, uncontrolled, wicked heart on full display. And this does what? It tears people apart. It tears us apart. And it seems that the Colossian church was dealing with this. Dealing with these types of sins, the sexual morality, and also these sins of of relational issue being spoken of uh, towards one another. And the unity of the church was being threatened by hearts gone wild. And this leads to broken relationships and threatens to tear the church apart. But what does Paul say here? Paul says, do away with them. Take them off. Have nothing to do with your old ways. Stop it when it's in the heart before it even gets out. Get rid of them. Friends, the problem is in the heart. Our hearts, in and of themselves, are bent on pleasing ourselves. Our hearts apart from from confidence in Jesus, are also fragile and prone to hurt. And sometimes we can be so nasty to each other. 
We, sometimes we have violent tongues that are fueled by wrath-filled hearts, which can destroy relationships and destroy the church. And Paul wants us to be ready for that, warning us, control it from the beginning. Set your minds on Christ. Our problems start in the heart. James says, talking about how speech can be so violent and what it can do, how such a tongue, just like a rudder in a, in a, in a large ship, can, can do so much damage. James 3, 5 to 6 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Our tongues are powerful, driven by and fueled by an angry heart. And so let us remember that Satan and ourselves are at the core of all of this. Satan wants to use our tongues to divide the church so that we are ineffective for the gospel. He wants people to look at our church and say, those people are so messed up, I want nothing to do with them. And that Jesus that they follow, I don't want to follow him. It's just a mess in there. Satan knows that our hearts are prone to anger, and he knows that, that we often lack, lack self-control. And he knows that our evil passions get the best of us. And Paul kind of closes this section out, and he says, do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Friends, the ultimate sign that we are joining Satan in his battle against the church is that instead of looking like Christ, we are looking more and more like Satan. John 8, 44 says that, that Satan himself does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So when we lie, we're looking like Satan. Friends, we betray our brothers and sisters when we don't tell them the truth. So do we want to look like Christ? Do we want to look like truth? And Paul's calling us, be aware of your temptation to not tell the truth. Be aware of, of, not, of, of lying. Remember, God is the God who never lies. He's never abused people by his words. He's never blasphemed. He's never slandered. He has never had sinful wrath against anyone. And friends, our aim is to be like Christ. Putting away our old ways. Putting off our old clothes. Stopping our divisive tongues. Practicing self-control. Checking the attitudes of our hearts. And so are you a person who is prone to having your heart hurt? Are you prone to having your soul unsettled? Do you find yourself often churning within, boiling sometimes on the inside? Friends, you and I need to repent. We need to repent of this. We need to turn from it, put it off. Maybe you're a person that is prone to gossip. Maybe you're the greatest critic and you talk about it with others. Maybe your thoughts sometimes turn to slander and you defame other people by your words. Maybe you tear down somebody's character by talking about them. 
We need to repent. We need to turn from that. Perhaps you're a person who struggles with the truth. Perhaps you're given to making things up, covering up, covering up your weaknesses, telling half-truths, whatever that is. Maybe you've had a life of making up stories to, to cover up or to be more accepted. Perhaps you're not being upfront with your family. Perhaps you're not being transparent about your life with your friends at the church. We need to repent. Friends, the sins of the mouth are the sins of the heart. What's coming out is revealing what's happening within. So let's turn from that. Let's put that away. Let's take them off by the power of the Holy Spirit as we behold the glory of Christ informed by God's word. Let us set our minds on Christ above and let us stop our divisive tongues before they destroy our body. Let us be aware of this. And finally, we need to, in verses 9b to 11, we need to change our clothes. We're already talking about this. We need to change our clothes. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. But Christ is all and in all. So we see Paul here building off uh, the analogy still of this putting away, this literally changing your clothes. Paul calls the church to put off our, put off our old selves and our old practices and to put on our new selves. And we're going to talk about that a lot next week. As we are raised to new life in Jesus, we are made new. We are born again. We are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. And we see this, this process. It's a preeminent process of growing in Christ's likeness. Remember, the Christian life is about change. It's about transformation. It's about growing in holiness. And to grow in holiness, it requires the putting off and the putting on. Sometimes we're really concerned with the putting off, right? We're focused on that today. Next week, we're going to talk about putting on, which is, which is the other half. We can't just put off. So out with the old and in with the new. This is the Christian life. And being renewed, being renewed is, is this ongoing, progressive sanctification. Being renewed in knowledge, having our minds enlightened, our thoughts enraptured by Jesus Christ through the knowledge of him as revealed by his word. God's word in the hands of the Spirit transforms our minds. You remember, remember we did a sermon a while back on, on this about within our small groups, how we, how we grow in transformation together. Having our minds renewed, which changes our hearts and changes our actions. This is the way that Scripture teaches us that it happens. So we have our, our wrong thinking is corrected by God's knowledge through His Word, and we end up having right thinking from that, and that right thinking then begins to change the desires of our heart. And we begin to have right desires. And then those right desires work themselves out into action, right action because of a right heart, because of a right mind. Oh, to be like Jesus. That's our goal. Our goal is to be like Jesus that we see in heaven at the right hand of the Father, to be like him, to be renewed in the image of the creator. This reminds me of an old hymn I sung as a kid. I love old hymns 
I can't remember them all the time, but when I'm preparing a sermon, a lot of them will come to mind. And so this one comes to mind. I'm not going to sing it like we did the last time. But, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. That needs to be our longing, being made, renewed in the image of our Creator. So do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to be like Him? You need to change your clothes. We have new clothes. We have new clothes in Jesus Christ. Before Christ, we didn't have new clothes. We had the old self, that old, dirty, grimy, lost, sinful person. Now we have new clothes. We have been buried in Christ and raised up with him. God has lavished grace and mercy upon us. He gives us himself. He gives us new clothes. Paul says, here... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. At the cross of Jesus Christ, there's level ground. There is no partiality. That old identity, the old names we used to call ourselves, are gone. And we are with Jesus. We are His, His level ground. We once were all sinners. We were once all lost. We were all once dead. But Jesus, through his perfect, sinless life, because of the great love that God has for us, he killed his son for you so that you could have new clothes, so that you could have the robes of righteousness. And so we live as Christians to bring him glory. By putting on the new clothes. Being preoccupied with the things of heaven where Christ is. No longer identified with our earthly, unclean ways. We see here this list. Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. That is not us anymore. We are identified with Christ. And he is all. And he is in all. All of us. His people. We are new. We are his. He is ours. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. We have new clothes. But my question is this is do you know him? Do you have those new clothes? Have you turned from your sin and trusted him fully for salvation? Have you believed? Uh, that you cannot do it on your own. You cannot come to God on your own terms. You come on his terms, and his terms are repentance and faith. So believe in him. Trust in what he did for you on the cross. Repent and believe today. And as we grow together in Jesus Christ, we must be slaying our sexual sin. We, not, we must be stopping holding our divisive tongues. We must be taking off that old man and putting on Christ. And so let us change our clothes for the journey ahead. 
informed by God's word, empowered by his Holy Spirit for the purpose of the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, to be like thee, O Lord. That is our desire this morning. We want to be like you. We want to be transformed into your image today. Father, we thank you for this this process that you have revealed to us through your word. That we can be changed. We can be changed through repentance and faith because of the work of Jesus Christ. And because of what he has done, we have new clothes. And we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Even though the old man still tries to claw back, still tries to rise up. Lord, I pray that we'd be slaying him. Slaying the sexual temptations and sins that are beckoning us back. Controlling our tongues that that want to deceive and destroy. Lord, let us embrace the reality that we have new clothes. And that returning to our old selves, our old ways is ludicrous. And so do a work in our hearts. Do a work in our souls today. And may we respond in worship. Worship that you loved us enough in our dirt and in our depravity and you sent your son. Lord, we rejoice today looking to him, seated seated next to the Father, over his church, building his church, caring for his bride. Lord, we long for his return. We long to be in your presence. Lord, come soon. But until then, Lord, We trust you, and we see what you have laid out before us. And we pray that we would embrace this, engage this, knowing that we can't do this on our own. We need to be engaging our sin in the power of the Holy Spirit, informed by your word for the glory of Christ. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.